Beep. Beep. I'll give you that extra pop so that you can extra align it. Tough. Seems good. Should we, should we make our standard opening like one of those ones where we each like say a word or something like that? Or like yeah, we're just gonna go. I'm gonna. I could be. I could be there's like, no script, but we're each gonna say one word or or like a couple of words. Like I could be like. To Gom Jabber, a Dune podcast, both thorough and flippant. Join us, the Muad Dweebs, as we review Frank Herbert's classic Dune, three chapters at a time, in what some might call. <laughs> <laughs> we always had it. Yeah, we were close. Alec, we were keep close. Going. Keep going. Uh, hello everyone. My name is Alec Boyle. God damn it, Alec! You were supposed to pick up where I left off. It's like you're never supposed to say no. You're supposed to say yes and. Oh, like, you just keep, yes and you. Yeah, you're supposed to keep going. Keep like keep it flowing. Oh, I see. Oh, wait a fuck it all up. All right. All right. Well, now I don't know what to do. You got nothing now. Yeah. We're, we're this episode was brought to you by Candy Warehouse. Because there's candy. What, is, what do they call it? The, the, the Quizat Hatter Snacks? Our new... That's my new segment. Quizat Hatter Snack. It's so good. Thank you to Thuggish Ruggish Vic something numbers. I hope it's not 69. Thuggish Ruggish Vic, please let it not be 69. Uh, Thuggish Ruggish Fig or whatever your name is, I'll support you if it is 69. <laughs> You would, Boyle. I got you, back. All right. We, we'll do the intro later, guys. This is a hot mess. <laughs> it's just thuggish, ruggish, Vic. Oh, thank God. <laughs> okay. Oh, All right. So frozen. this week on Gom Jabber with the Maud Dweebs, we are reviewing two chapters, starting with uh, chapter 29. Uh, and ending with chapter 30, in these two chapters, uh, Paul and Jessica flee across a wide stretch of open desert, uh, leaving a thumper behind them and then being mysteriously rescued by a thumper at the other end. And in the second chapter, uh, Leah Kynes goes on planetary pimple popper and gets caught in a maelstrom of cinnamon pus. Fatally. Well, that was, wow. that was a great 30 second rundown of two chapters. Well done, Boyle. It's a new area in Gob Jabber where we go brrr, weekly Woo. because the algorithm demands it. So welcome to your weekly installment of Dweebery. We uh, are we start slaves with the to the machine. Oh, no, we don't want to start with a quote. We want to start with ourselves, don't we? No, that'll be part of the intro when we record oh. the actual intro. Oh, I like the... I like the oh, you want to do those episode by episode? All right. Yeah. I might... Flip these to the beginning, but yeah, let's who also wants to introduce themselves first. Just a soft note, Alec. I'm open to the intro that you just did, and I really love it. Um, here's just some things I'm thinking about. <laughs> what if that um, what we talk about in this episode you put in afterwards, where you do a 30 second rundown of the shit that we talk about? Mm. 
oh, so I wait till after we record, and then I yeah. s- summarize what we covered. You, yes. you, you, te- you tease the episode and some of the flavor. Okay, yeah, actually, I I'm like that a lot, because that, that does what I was wanting to do even more, right? Which is roadmap it for the audience. Yeah. It's a I'm, thesis sentence. I'm in. And this episode's sponsored by Big Red. Uh, we've got dueling advertisers this week, Big Red and Dentine. Do not tell them about each other. Oh, shit, I picked the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm Team Big Red. Lily, what team are you? Oh, team Dentine all well, and I think, day. I think Lily Trinette. also is Team Dentine because Shai Halud needs that sugar-free to really clean all those Chris yeah. Knight teeth, right? All those Chris mm. Knight teeth. How are you going to keep them sharp and pointy? Dentine. Chon on a full sugar big red? Uh Uh-uh. What is this, the 70s? (laughs) All right, so we need to introduce ourselves. Yeah. What about extra? Forget about extra stuff. You're extra. I am. No, I'm extra. Really, that's what I thought he was saying. He was like, what about how extra I am? (laughs) I'm Josh Stevens, and I am the extra of our group. I'm the basic bitch. I'm crazy chaotic. What is it? Chaotic good? I'm the chaotic good of our group. Doc- Dr. Banana Guy Ham. <laughs> I can't love you, me. Editing business is going to be such a nightmare. Welcome to Gom Jabber with the Mua Drunks. That's just me, actually. I'm trying. Lily, what, well, Lily, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a Languedoc Red. I order in uh, every few weeks. I get my local corner wine store to just put a random case of wine together. It's pretty amazing. So shout out to Corner Wine in Lexington, Kentucky. Tell Gary I said what up. Nice. Boy, what are you drinking? I am drinking some uh, Mezcal. Did you even introduce uh, yourself? I did not yet. You started asking me what yeah, I Yeah, he said he's the basic bitch. Oh, did he, did, he, did, he did do that. This is all... Alec, I'm sorry you have to edit this, man. We've got some gems oh, it's in gonna here, be, but it's, it's going to be a shit sieve. I'm the basic bitch and the Baron Harkonnen. The basic Baron. My tastes Baron are both extravagant and predictable. <laughs> what color cape are you wearing tonight? Uh, it's like a purple and gold stripe kind of deal. It's got some Ooh. fleur-de-lis on the reverse. It's pretty sick. What did we read together? What, what did we read this week? Dweebs? We read two chapters this week. The first chapter is chapter 29, which begins on page 332 of the abstract brown and bronze bound edition. And it begins with the quote, Family life of the royal creche is difficult for many people to understand, but I shall try to give you a capsule view of it. My father had only one real friend, I think. That was Count Hasimir Fenring, the genetic eunuch and one of the deadliest fighters in the Imperium. The Count, a dapper and ugly little man, brought a new slave concubine to my father one day, and I was dispatched by my mother to spy on the proceedings. All of us spied on my father as a matter of self-protection. One of the slave concubines permitted my father under the Bene Gesserit Guild Agreement could not, of course, bear a royal successor. But the intrigues were constant and oppressive in their similarity. We became adept, my brother and sisters and I, at avoiding subtle instruments of death. 
It may seem a dreadful thing to say, but I am not sure, not at all sure my father was innocent in all of these attempts. A royal family is not like other families. Here was a new slave concubine then, red-haired like my father, willowy and graceful. She had a dancer's muscles, and her training obviously had included neuro-enticement. My father looked at her for a long time as she postured unclothed before him. Finally, he said, She is too beautiful. We will save her as a gift. You have no idea how much consternation this restraint created in the royal creche. Subtlety and self-control were, after all, the most deadly threats to us all. From In My Father's House by the Princess Arulan. Thanks for reading the whole first chapter aloud for us, Alex. It gave us a nice long time to reflect. Um, I should have made one of you guys do it. I could have finished the reading for this week. I would have offered to. Actually, you just jumped right in. Um, they're really going hard to this uh, this whole restraint um, motif here over the next few ep- uh, the next few chapters, aren't they? Yeah. Frank is very interested in people's uh, capacity for self-control. You think that's why and... they chose Sting to be in the movie? <laughs> I mean, was that was that, like a, was that like maybe a gift Sting, to Frank? Maybe Sting lobbied for it. Oh, maybe Sting chose his path in life because of Dune. Oh, man. At what point in the course of talking about this book do we get to tell the anecdote about Patrick Stewart meeting Sting and not knowing who he was? Well, we already did. Shit. We did? It was like episode one, two, three, somewhere in there. Oh, guys, I think we drink too much. I think you Anyway, who wants to do a 30-second summary of this chapter? <laughs> uh, here we go. Nature, damn it. And the uh, <clears throat> the better end of a worm? I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but I mean, there's a lot of running, a lot of nature, a lot of sand, and the breath of a and the breath of a worm, the cinnamony breath of a worm, over and over again. That's that hot cinnamon breath. I think that's the entire chapter. It's hiding in a crevasse from hot cinnamon breath. Did I miss anything? I mean, yes. The end of Liette, my dude. That's the no, next chapter. Next sec- chapter. No, you're 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 jumping ahead here. God cut cut that out. Spoiler. I will I will edit that out. <laughs> I mean, I love that Lily's wrong, but um, no, that's that's the whole. <laughs> it chapter. happens for us so rarely. We really got it. <laughs> um, <I agree>. <clears throat> so. Oh, it's a nut. Okay, ask me what happens. Did you miss anything? Did I miss anything, Lily? No. It's another freaking sphincter tent chapter. Just when you There's think no there tent, can't possibly there? be another one. Oh, there is a tent. There's a tent there is a tent at the end, yeah. yeah. No, yep, another sphincter tent, another worm, another running scene. I mean, this is... And the most ellipses in any damn chapter in the entire book. This is. This, I planted this whole a thumper chapter? in the deepest part of the crevasse. 30 minutes before it starts calling ellipses. A. Ellipses. <laughs> Lump ellipses, lump ellipses, lump ellipses, drag ellipses, drag ellipses, step ellipses. You're right. This is very interesting. So this, so this chapter is, and you know, he wrote this chapter before the invention of copy paste. So it took him like 18 hours to do each ellipses. In fact, in that time when you had to write an ellipses, you had to wait. You had to like pause, like you were actually honoring each ellipses. So this, this chapter. no one knows this, but this chapter took him longer than writing the whole rest of the book combined. 
It's like a it's like a Rodin sculpture. Yeah. Um, of ellipses. So in in uh, Dweeb Speak, this was Nature Damn It, Sphincter Tent, Dune Dudes. Dude dudes. El- <laughs> ellipses. Uh, hot breath of a worm. So I only, it, I only right? have one thing I want to talk about in this chapter. It's near the end. I'll let you guys talk, but I do just, I have one major thing to whine about when we get to the end of the chapter. Okay. So the one thing I'll add is like, oh, they're going to get up. They're going to running. <clears throat> Paul's got this plan. He's going to set the thumper. Uh, they have their, well, we got to be ready, mom. We got to be ready. Right. He's like, oh, 30 minutes before it starts to come. And he's being all dramatic before it starts calling. Oh, mm-hmm. worm. And then Jessica's like, Oh, I'm ready to go. That's the actual quote. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to go. Wait, and I don't know if your partners do this to you. <laughs> Mine does all the time. I'm kind of identifying with Paul at this point. No, I think I'm still Jessica, where he's like fucking around, getting all this stuff, doing whatever. He's like, we gotta be ready to go. And she's like, I, I'm ready. I've been ready. It's Paul. fine. I, we what can, I got we can a go, still Paul. suit. You want to run? <laughs> Although, does anybody else get the impression from these chapters that Jessica is very out of shape? <laughs> huh. She um, is constantly and instantly out of breath. I gotta tell you, when was the last time you ran in sand? True. I mean, yeah, sure, but also not that long ago. Hot sun, still suit, it's running night. in sand. Hot night. Still suit, <laughs> running in sand. That's You're in a Dirty Dancing suit. 3, right? It does, it Hot night, running in sand, still suit? That's right. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter, actually, the temperature. If you're in a still suit, it is a it is 100 sweaty degrees in there. But you meet a big worm. Oh. <laughs> noise of running in a still suit. I don't make the rules. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was way too rhythmic for running in a still suit. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Wait, ellipses. Slide ellipses. <laughs> ellipses. <laughs> uh, yeah, just something like that. Um. So they run across, and then we meet a big old worm. What do we learn about? Well, the it was worms? like a medium old worm. Well, yeah. They said it was well, they think it's long. a big old worm. Little yeah, no, 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 no. At one point, Jessica's like, oh, that was a big worm. And Paul's like, no, mom. The one that ate our car was bigger. <laughs> you say car? Yeah. Our you car? weren't even there to be a dad. It was way big. Um. <laughs> the worm blotted out the moonlight as it brushed the rocks above them. A shower of small stones and sand cascaded into the narrow hiding place. Paul crowded his mother farther back. The smell of it flooded across him. And this is where Paul learns that maybe there's a connection between the worms and the spice, which I thought has already been pretty apparent, but maybe that's just to us, the reader. From from a guy with uh, prescient vision and a terrible purpose, he has a hard time remembering what people have recently told him, only to remember <laughs> what people have recently told him seconds later. Uh, it is interesting... A lot of this chapter and the next chapter are this sort of nexus of foreshadowing, but like not like not like spiritual foreshadowing, just like detail foreshadowing, right? Right? Paul's like, oh, 
the bag had those things called maker hooks. I wonder what that's about. Oh, yeah. In the next chapter, Kynes is like, damn it. And here I am without any maker hooks. And then I think it's (laughs) like 100 pages before we find out what the maker hooks are really for. And also, if he knows how to, if he knows how to, you know, strap on a still suit desert style, how come he doesn't instantaneously know exactly what a maker hook is for? I think because in the upcoming chapter where they meet um, Stilgar again, mm-hmm. right? Meet Stilgar for the second time. There are yeah. a few moments there where Paul uh, could easily fuck up and die. And that clouds his ability to remember things that happen after that. Huh. Or is it one of these things where um, he only knows things that he shouldn't know at the exact moment where he needs to know them? Is this like a just-in-time prescience thing? Hmm. Hmm. You don't know it until you need it. It's a need. Yeah. He's, he's on a need-to-know basis with his uh, his fremen ways. I think that we need to. This is. Uh... I'm departing, but we need a Jungian specialist to come in because I'm reading all this race memory and this emergence oh, and I'm a specialist. Things. I'm a specialist hating Jung. <laughs> Some well, pseudo Alec, fascist let's, let's, bullshit. Let's step into our new segment, uh, hating on Jung with Alec Boyle. So give us your, do you, ha- can you give us a rundown on Young's theories of race memory or collective conscious and like, cause clearly it seems like Herbert's playing on this a lot with Jessica and Paul in particular, but I don't know shit about it. Yeah, wait, I guess wait, 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 I don't. We need to lead into this segment properly. This is the segment, Young and Old Man Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'll try to do more. Next time there's a Young and Old Man Boyle, I'll come with a little more specific research, but Jung's concepts of race memory is that there are, across the human race, through an unspecified mechanism, Mm -hmm. genetic memories that cause us to have certain universal reactions to things, right? And so, like, the most common example given in, like, intro to Jung segments is... um, snakes that all people are scared of snakes because we have a genetic instinct to like see a snake and panic um because of the garden of eden maybe and but (laughs) i was fucking around (laughs) no but like the problem is that like a lot of this stuff does get swept up into sort of eugenics and branch right it's like it's not real so it's not thought through very well and so it's vulnerable to exploitation uh also i'm not scared of snakes lots of people aren't scared of snakes right it's prima facie bullshit lots of people see things that we're supposed to like be panicked by and it's very apparent that you only learn that through nurture um yeah and i don't know i i feel like i I feel like no amount of research will make me not hate Jung, but I cannot do a proper job tearing Jung down without knowing exactly what he said about certain things. So let's save the rest of this. I, uh, I love a long-term beef. beef. Can we talk about why is Jessica becoming so emo? <laughs> I actually thought... I am here for this. 
Yeah, lay it out, and then I have some thoughts on it. She even, she even comments on her own emotes. She, she, she says, she thinks, the night is a tunnel, she thought, a hole into tomorrow. If we're to have a tomorrow, she shook her head. Why must I be so morbid? morbid? I was trained better than that. Like, they're just in the desert. Like, <laughs> I actually liked it, though, because it's like, oh, she's much like Paul going through various stages of denial over her grief over the fact that, like, her whole life just got blown up. Huh. There's some passage, and I don't remember if it's in this chapter or two chapters from now, but, like, she looks at Paul and he somehow reminds her of... Jared Leto Atreides. Oh, oh, of of Duke Duke Leto. Duke Duke Leto Atreides, Uh, and she like has to look away from him for a second. I was like, oh, that's actually a really good, consistent characterization. I appreciate Mm. that. Okay. Yeah, I guess we know that they're going to not die in the desert alone here. Uh, how, how long? They, how long do you think they've been in the desert right now? Three days. Forty years. Oh, that's right. Forty days, forty nights, wandering in the desert. Their fathers ate manna. We should um, have looked at this, but I think it's like three nights, right? I think this is actually just their second day. Night, right? They slept in the night. desert. There's been three once. sphincter tent moments. Three. Oh, all right. I guess I can't keep track well, of all the sphincters. If you keep better track of the book than us, hit us up at Gone Jabber. G-O-M-J-I-B-B-E-R and let us know where we're wrong. Um, Last thing I want to say this chapter, we're making a nothing burger out of a nothing sandwich. But um, mm-hmm. they do, when the worm comes, its mouth is, I just looked at the specifics, 80 meters wide. That's hella big. And this is a medium mm-hmm. worm. So I, I just like, if I had a better imagination, I would be more excited about that passage. of like, oh, fuck, a big worm. Um, what I don't understand then is what little rock inlet are they hiding in that's so wide that its mouth could get anywhere near them? I don't think the danger is that it'll, like, reach in and pluck them out. It's that it'll just smash the rock with its football field wide head. Huh. That's fair. Or suck it like a peach pit. Yeah, maybe it has tremendous uh, inhalation powers. So my last point that I want to bring up about this chapter that just (laughs) irritated the crap out of me is they get into the rock safety, right? They hide from the football field wide worm. They're clambering up this crevasse. They get through the blind staircase, which he made like a big deal out of how hard it was for them to like foot their way up this staircase. That was not really a detail I needed. Yeah. And then... They're like looking at the mice, the the little uh, oh, the no, the little Maudibs dancing in the light patch, and then this hawk swoops down and eats one of them. And yeah. Jessica thinks we needed that reminder, and I'm like, no, you didn't. You just almost got eaten by a worm three paragraphs ago. I'm positive danger was very fresh in their minds. Yeah, I liked earlier. Just before this, so they they run away, they're hiding the rock, and the worm gets drawn away by the other thumper. And they're trying to figure out, somebody called it, uh, Paul said, Fremen? And Jessica says, it's so big. Not as big as when they got the thopter. And then they're talking, and he goes, well, maybe they weren't helping us. Maybe they were just calling a worm. Like, 
totally normal. And Jessica says, why? And then this is where his prescience, it's an answer is poised at the edge of his awareness. Look, maker hooks. Things about worms. Can't put it together. Which, I mean, who would think you would ride a worm? But maybe they just call the worm. Like, you would just call him up and be like, <laughs> just hey, worm, how's it going? But then mm-hmm. I was thinking about myself. And honestly, if I could just, like, call a worm, I I would probably do it. Like, people back home put out salt licks just to look at deer and shit. Like, and deer are boring as hell. Or, maybe the big error in this book is that the, the worm tourism industry would be enormous, right? Damn! Yeah. Worm safari, Alec! Worm safari. Yeah, everyone will be making those Dooney calls. <laughs> Five eight eight two worm hundred arrakis. What up, Chicago? That, that, to- that totally worked. Okay. Um, yeah, this. Um, I feel like this chapter should have done more for me. Yep. I don't. So let's move on. Yeah, okay. let's move on. Who wants to read the next quote? Not uh, it. Okay, I'll read it. All right. Um, This Fremen religious adaptation, then, is the source of what we now recognize as, quote, the pillars of the universe, whose Quizara Tafwid are among us, all with signs and proofs and prophecy. They bring us to the Arakeen mystical fusion, whose profound beauty is typified by the stirring music built on the old forms, but stamped with the new awakening. Who has not heard and been deeply moved by Quote, the old man's hymn. I drove my feet through a desert whose mirage fluttered like a host. Voracious for glory, greedy for danger, I roamed the horizons of Al Kulab, watching time level mountains in its search and its hunger for me, and I saw the sparrows swiftly approach, bolder than the onrushing wolf. They spread in the tree of my youth, I heard the flock in my branches and was caught on their beaks and claws from Arrakis Awakening by the Princess Irulan. Do y'all know how much time I spent trying to figure out how to rhyme wolf with youth? <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even try. I didn't even try. I, could, I, even I, I spent me. so much time being mad at it. I was like, damn, what? I can't, I can't put these things to tunes. Josh has managed to do some great work. Some of the other ones, this is hopeless. And then, then it, just give us a rhyme. Is this Frank's direct translation of some actual song out of that book y'all mentioned the other episode? Would not surprise me, right? Because um, it doesn't. What's the meter here? What's what's the? Josh did a great job being a Frank apologist and making it make sense, but. It, that's yeah, the end so of my rant that, about that. that. That quote that opens the last chapter, the whole story about the mm-hmm. you know the various concubines and the murders. Yeah, that's like a direct anecdote from the court of whoever is Shah in Persia during Sabers of Paradise. Really? Yeah. That's huh. and, oh, and I, and I can't believe I forgot. To bring up the only thought I had about that entire chapter, other than that I didn't really like it all that much, um, was about the quote, was that concubine supposed to be Jessica? I think so. I can't believe we didn't talk about that either. That was the only thing I thought. Red hair, dancer's body, we got to save her as a present. So the emperor gave her to... Super trained? <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. No, but Arulan's alive. Arulan's alive and 
mm. like sentient, right? Is old enough to be sent to spy on uh, things. Wait, I don't think the timeline works. Why, why wait, though? No, wait, 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 why not? Jessica's I think her and Paul are at... pretty close age. Um. All right. Well, we'll see. Yeah, but she could have been. She could have been like three. Four years old? You don't know. I can send my three-year-old to go spy on somebody. <laughs> All right, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know. We should look it up. It's possible there's a written source. Oh, watch out for it. your little kid, Josh. Like, <laughs> wait a minute. Josh's kid isn't here. Hush up. That kid's a snitch. <laughs> I trained him well. Um, All right, so what have we learned in this quote? Things are sad. Okay, so this, this chapter... Um, was basically, wasn't this just uh, Leah Kynes left for death by the Harkonnens uh, on a sand pimple, right? <laughs> that he can feel bubbling underneath him. Um, and then he starts hallucinating in his moments of, uh, his, in his final moments about his all the things his father told him that he never wanted to hear again. Sure. Yeah. First, um, we learn. I mean, we basically we learn that Liet Kynes, depending on what camp you're in, is he Kynes is Liet. He survived that attack. That Dreska and Paul straight up were like, "Okay, cool. Like, go die. We'll take the escape vehicle. You can leave." And well, he was captured, which well, we knew. No, from he the walked chapter. out into the. We already knew he was captured, but we. Yes, he walked out. He said, "I should have known there was trouble and there wasn't coffee." Walked out the door, shut it behind him, and they fucked off. No, they went down two different passages. Remember, they were running through the caves, and then he said, "You guys follow the light up, the light up things on the ground that yeah. will take you to your escape." That went dark behind him, and then he went the other way. So they split up into two different passages in the caves. He turned back. He went back and fought with the guys. This is what I remember. Because <laughs> I uh, love you. Okay, so we see. So he's he's been dropped off, but not just all the things that his dad didn't. He didn't want to hear from his dad anymore. Like, you really should apply yourself more to your studies, son. Or like, uh, you know, you look so much prettier when you put makeup on. Or <laughs> people like you when you smile. Isn't that the stuff that guys hear from their dads? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. That and life breeds more life. It's the basis <laughs> of all ecology. Right. So wrap it up, buddy. It was basically just a lecture, right? It was just an ecology lecture. Yeah, so this, like Dune one, this was Dune One Hundred One lecture all over again. He's well, already the planetologist. He doesn't need Dune One Hundred One. So we learn boring. all of the deep. We learn that Arrakis is the long con, and that it's not just Liet that has been on the Arrakis con. It's his father and generations before them. And so this is where mm-hmm. we get the 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 rundown on the like they're going to terraform in the slow way, in the way that you might actually be able to terraform something. Right? Put a few more plants in. Build up the moisture flows. And this is where Herbert kind of dweebs out on his desert ecology. Sort of desertification in reverse. And Well, he's, he started nerding out on that when they were talking about the uh, the salt pan. Wasn't that what happened in the last chapter? Could be. The white salt pan that they had to cross. Oh, right. Oh, water had is been drum yeah. sand a real thing? I mean, in on Earth? Yeah. I don't have any idea but i doubt it it's a cool concept though here's our new segment we should google that (laughs) so yeah last chapter paul and jessica hit some drum sand and boom 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 which seems like something that'd only be scary if you were afraid of worms um i found something about a spinning drum sander um i'm pretty sure it's a tool it's like a power tool 
It's uh, only a Dune thing. Ah, good to know. Okay. So, boom, booming Google booming sands. No, I'm going to keep talking to Lily because this is a podcast. Scientific uh, American says, "What are booming sands and the causes, and what causes the sounds they make?" So maybe they are a real thing, and maybe they're in that book that you're reading. Join us the, next week where yeah. we no, fact book, check ourselves. That book takes place nowhere near. Sabers of Paradise has no sand in it. It's all set in the mountains of Georgia. Okay, oh. so Liet is. Stranded in the sands, they've stripped him. He's naked in the desert. He's he knows he's, he's got a die. turban though. He's, he makes he's, a turban out of something. He's sun. stripped off a little bit of his robe. He's given him. He's wrapped it around his head. He's he's meeting his maker, and he he smells that there's about to be a spice explosion or something like that. And then he starts talking about the little makers. And so we're learning all these bits and pieces of Dune ecology that because I don't remember mm-hmm. the book, I don't remember anything about this, but. Mm-hmm. I do know a little bit about uh, soil nitrogen cycles. And so I'm thinking Mm. about the processes of accumulation. And so these are the uh, micro fungi and this is the hummus process that's happening in the nitrogen. Here's what I'm imagining. It's being sequestered. Um, The spice in some instances exists in the air of Arrakis and it gets sequestered through different biota and um, uh, what do you call them? bacteria through filaments into the soil that's then uh, made into more complex forms through the hummus process humus if you're you go back to this hummus thing because i love hummus <laughs> yeah so the little makers which we don't know what they are but i think that they're just soil microbiome and uh you know that the little makers are beginning to lose some of their water into the mass right that he knows that the soil explosion is coming which when you till soil on uh earth Right, it releases nitrogen into the air, and so I'm imagining that because of the nature of the sand and the dune ecology, that there's some buildup of these gaseous forces, that then there's a dune explosion, which is not the term he uses. No, the term that he uses uh, fits really well with, uh, well, it, it, it's spice blow, which then leads spice to Joan. Spice blow, oh my god! The spice blows on Arrakis are what causes Chom. <laughs> Leathery, half plant, half animal little makers, which I'm like, oh, if that's not like a fungal spore, I, I don't mean, know. For, what yeah, it is. it's a direct fungal analogy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think there's a really good section somewhere a little later in the chapter where he talks about where his, I think it's the ghost of his dad is like, yeah, when you look at the thing, right, and you see that the air balance is right, but there's no. Yeah life as you would expect it you have to assume that some other life form is fulfilling that role how strange that so few people ever looked up from the spice long enough to wonder at the near ideal nitrogen oxygen co2 balance being maintained here in the absence of large areas of plant cover and the nerd the the actual like professional nerd not that this is in the actual nerd in me this is fully the real nerd in me my dweebness but the professional nerd in me was like oh hell yeah like this is cool i am into this this is the first time i've been with frank on his desert ecology trip i liked when uh he was trying not to get eaten by desert hawks <laughs> that was kind of cool there's a lot of time spent. He's just like him. flicking him off. I just imagine him laying there. So Liette is laying there on the sand, like with his half turban, just like trying to vaguely roll off of this, the dune explosion. And just the hawks 
And why not vultures? But okay, I like hawks, actually. And they're creeping in. He's just sort of flicking his hand at him like, Ugh, and they're like, we can wait. <laughs> we, we got patience. Yeah, they Arrakis, got man. Like we got we got nothing but time. I think the idea is maybe that there's so little life on Aragus that you have to be more generalized than a vulture. Like you have to be willing to both a hawk vulture. Okay. Eat the dead and the living. Mm-hmm. T-Rex style. I like that line that he thought about how the Harkonnens always did find it difficult to kill Fremen. <laughs> I was like, that's a good one. That's a good one, Kynes. Like, I get, get one oh, little man. dig in there right before the, <laughs> you prove him wrong. There's, um, this is where his critique of... Wait, was his, that in parentheses? It was in italics, yeah. yeah so it was... <laughs> turns out, actually, they killed him pretty effectively. Well, it took him a while. It took him a long time. Maybe. I think that the the disproven... It turns out the, Harkon- the Harkonnens are perfectly good at killing Fremen. They are bad at defeating Fremen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love this chapter because there's just some really good stuff in it about colonialism, about ecology, and I got really excited about it. And so I, I actually wish that Liet's dad, I, I would read a prequel to this book just to meet um, Papa Kynes because oh, in I'm Parade sure of Daddies, that... I am certain that he would be my number one daddy. I'm, I'm so sure Brian Herbert has ri- written it. <laughs> I, I am really glad you brought up the Parade of Daddies because it turns out by halfway through the book that Parade of Daddies was actually just a funeral march. <laughs> I know, they're all dead. <laughs> oh, that's um, too true. All right, so Daddy, Liet Daddy, Papa, Papa Liet says, Men and their works have been a disease on the surface of their planets before now. Nature tends to compensate for diseases, to remove or encapsulate them, to incorporate them into the system in her own way. Oh, love it. Okay, goes on. The historical system of mutual pillage and extortion stops here on Arrakis. Y'all, my heart. His father <laughs> said, in, which you 349. You cannot go on forever stealing what you need without regard to those who come after. The physical qualities of a planet are written into the economic and political record. We have the record in front of us, and our course is obvious. Put that in your book, Frank. Yes. Yes. A book for our times. Hmm. The physical qualities of a planet are written into its economic and political record. Look at what a hot mess we are in. We have the record in front of us, and the course is obvious. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I like that in his head, Kynes is like, shut up, Dad! <laughs> I know, I'm trying. I'm I've dying been here, the, I've man. Been living, I've been living this shit for my whole adult life, and right now I'm dying. This is not the time. Not the time for a lecture, Dad. And this is the piece that I actually like pondered. I read this all of last night, and so I had all of today doing all my other work to think about this, but... Arrakis is a one-crop planet, his father said. One crop. It supports a ruling class that lives as ruling classes have lived in all times. Beneath them, a semi-human mass of semi-slaves exists on the leavings. It's the masses and the leavings that occupy our attention. These are far more valuable than has ever been suspected. And I was like, come through a little bit of Marxist theory. Like, come through a little bit of, like, it's the workers that need to revolt. Workers of the world unite. But then I actually realized how little I understand about the economy of Arrakis. Okay, so so the feudal lords who are brought in by the empire. Mm -hmm. And then there's we've heard about the Fremen. 
And the thing that occurred to me in the last couple, I think I actually wrote it as a note in the previous chapter is we talk about the Fremen, but the Fremen are not, I'm realizing, monolithic. There are different sects of Fremen, or at least different types. They have their different cultures. And I'm thinking And they don't interact really at all with the imperial system, right? They're not part of the economy that exists in... Arakeen and the other northern cities. Well, it's I think that's what I'm confused about. Everyone else thinks that each tribe is the same tribe. All the tribes look the same to them. So they right. see one tribe and they're like, "Oh, there's that little group of Fremen. There's there's those forty Fremen again." Exactly. But it's like, could be a there's lot of Muslims. Fremen, right? What else do I need to know? <laughs> right, and there's a ten thousand year history of Fremen, right? And there are more of them than there are everybody else on the planet. Put right. together. Mm-hmm. So here's what I'm just... thinking, and I, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but there that there's much more heterogeneity within the Fremen than we realize, and I don't know how much more will be explained, but I think there's probably sort of radical planet terraforming goal Fremen mm-hmm. that Liet we're learning is the leader of through this whole lecture right. from his father, and that yep. maybe there's the others, right? Like the folks who have been more fully conscripted into and and there colonized. are definitely Fremen who live more along the edges of the the rockier places, right, and interact yeah. more with the imperial system. Yeah, I also think what's really interesting though is we also know from one of Paul's revelations earlier, right, that basically the guild and possibly Chome, I'm not clear know about all the Fremen because they buy spice from them all the time. Well, they know about yeah. they know about the Fremen. They know the Fremen are effective at getting spice. I don't know how much they know, right? They no, know I don't times. think they bother knowing, right? But they, they certainly exactly. know they don't that care there are... Know. They know that there are lots of people in the southern half of the planet who pay them in spice to not tell anyone else that there's a lot of people in the southern half of the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the next chapter... They do talk about, you know, when... Um, we don't talk about next chapter yet. Stay tuned to next yeah. week to learn about next week. All right. That's fine. <laughs> Josh, you're always Skipsy yeah. Ahedsy Stevens. Skipsy Ahedsy Stevens, rein it in. Do we well, have anything said else? something relevant. All right, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so say, that, what do you want to talk about next week, Josh? Oh, how... I mean, Lily, didn't you just say that the uh, the Fremen aren't all... They're not monolithic. Together. Yeah. Yeah, but that's still Gar says otherwise. Ooh. Interesting. Interesting Let's debate to look forward week. to. Here's my favorite quote that I want to take us out on. So this is some prescient thinking from Liet. No more terrible disaster could befall your people than for them to fall into the hands of the hero, Papa Liet said. Mm-hmm. Bah, bah. Join us next week on Gom Jabbers. We talk about the hands of a hero. <laughs>